Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Subtle results. Still you, but with fewer lines. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia gravis, or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com. Gareth, you have no time to touch your balls. <laughs> Tottenham Hotspur Football Club. In my humble opinion, at least, one of the most fascinating clubs in the Premier League over the past decade. Their story has been full of twists, incredible characters and unbelievably dramatic moments, not least of which we saw last season, which was infamously immortalised in the Amazon Prime documentary series All or Nothing, which released its final episodes on Monday. So this week, myself and Chris discussed where the club are at now in the aftermath of the documentary and on the verge of potentially re-signing one of the greatest players in their modern history in the form of Gareth Bale. But first, Nico joins me to talk what the series All or Nothing says about the club, the chairman Daniel Levy, and of course, Jose Mourinho. Maurizio Pochettino has been sacked. It feels like the end of an era. We have to do what we feel is right for the club. And only time will tell if it's the right decision. Nico, what did you make of all or nothing Tottenham Hotspur? What was its purpose? What do you think it achieved for the club? What were your thoughts? Yeah, it's an it's an interesting documentary, I think, looking at it through the lens of the City Doc as well as just Tottenham as a whole and, and football is obviously interesting. But the first thing that seemed pretty clear to me or just kind of seemed to be one of the functions of the documentary um, was that obviously for me what 
Pochettino did for, for Spurs that was so significant was he took that team and he was fundamentally changing the way that they play with lesser resources. You know, Pep Guardiola, as talented as he is, is someone that has the capacity given his resume and acumen to attract and attract the players that he needs in order to perform specific roles as well as just usually the clubs that he's been at there's only been three have had the monetary capacity to really get whoever he wants and whoever fits his system so Pochettino is doing that with with players and that that weren't what Pep Guardiola has or what Thomas Tuchel has or you know any other possession manager that you want to talk about um and that's really significant. And to me, I always thought Daniel Levy was understood that. And that's why he saw so much value in Pochettino. That's why he gave him so much time is because time is essentially money. What's become clear to me in the documentary is that he did not understand that, um, at least to my mind. He attributed the general uptick of the club in recent years to the work that he's done, which fair enough. But probably not enough to Pochettino because... There are several moments in the documentary where he says that he believes Mourinho's one of he believes Mourinho's closer to being the best manager on the planet than he is to being like an average manager, I guess. Because at one point he says he's one of the two best coaches in the world, the other being Pep Guardiola, um, which is something that I don't think it's an opinion I don't think a lot of people hold. So my conspiracy theory with all this is to suggest that he fired Pochettino fine the results weren't going that way or whatever but he hired someone that tactically is the complete opposite that wasn't going to pick up where Pochettino left off and trying to make Tottenham an effective possession team he rightly correctly has evaluated this period of globalization the globalization of the game and by globalization I mean westernization of the game as a critical point in creating legacy and creating history for a club because you know as more and more westerners start to come on to the premier league and get their teams and become interested and most importantly spend money um in the direction of a club i think most clubs have understood that listen we need to ha we need to be in the relevant conversations and also we need to have some material success and obviously that hasn't come for spurs for a variety of different reasons for a long time so i think he took a gamble he made a bet and said, listen, as much as I like Pochettino, what needs to happen is that Spurs need to have material success. And so he hired Mourinho and he agreed to do the documentary with hopes that Mourinho would win a trophy and also that it would be immortalized forever in documentary format. Um, obviously, that wasn't the case. And... To me, the, the way that it was shot and the things that were shown and so on and so forth, it was more about here is a narrative about Jose Mourinho, who is a cultural figure in the football lexicon or football zeitgeist, and here's a story about what he did at Spurs. Mm. I, I agree to an extent, but I disagree to a larger extent. I think that the documentary became about Mourinho. I, I disagree somewhat with the conspiracy in that this was in the works at the start of last season, long before Pochettino was sacked and Mourinho joined the club. Of course, it became the Jose Mourinho show. The show very quickly moves past 
the historic end to the previous season and and Pochettino's departure in almost a, a prologue at the start of the series before the story the documentary wants to tell begins. You know, this narrative, this idea of the serial winner, Jose Mourinho joins to start a new era at the club, a serial success arriving to change the mentality of the team, turning a squad of nice guys into a bunch of you-know-whats by now, um, who then demand more of each other, who are aggressive, who are ruthless, who are, are winners, just like him by the end of the series. Uh, and of course, that's not really how things seem to be working out in reality. And the tidy narrative of the documentary, it doesn't, it doesn't translate into what we're seeing happen at the club. So overall, that kind of that, that need and that desire to kind of instill a narrative and a nice, tidy beginning, middle end, that story didn't work for me. And I think we do all accept that this documentary is somewhat sanitized. There is that aspect of it not really being a documentary, but being more of an advertorial for the club and a, and a marketing exercise, ultimately. Um, however, I do think you do get a lot of access. And I think it is therefore very entertaining and very watchable. I think even more so to Spurs fans such as myself, who's absolutely fascinated to see behind the scenes at their club. But to any football fan, I think it's very compelling to see behind the scenes, these aspects we don't usually get to see a glimpse of, the team talks, the one-on-one -on -one player talks. I mean, I think, you know, I'm assuming, and I think we all understand to an extent, we're not seeing every conversation that the players and the manager are having with each other. But it is undeniably fascinating to see the discussions, for example, Christian Eriksen, had over his transfer to Inter Milan with Daniel Levy um, to see how that works and to see how that discussion took place. Seeing behind the scenes of what happened when Hugo Lloris and Hugh Minson had their bust up. Seeing Tanguyem Dombele, who finally was mentioned by name in the last episode of the series. Seeing how he sort of talks to Daniel Levy through a translator, to a translator. Levy talking about his struggles and sort of channeling David Bren. Fascinating. I love it. I'm gripped. But overall, as I said before, ultimately it is an advert for the club. And there is that attempt to instill a narrative about how all these moments tie together into a nice satisfying conclusion and a neat arc of where the club and where Mourinho and where the players are going. And that's not the reality of it. Um, and I think if you take it on its merits, this isn't going to be a hugely insightful and hugely revealing expose of the club and you're not seeing things that the club don't want you to see but that doesn't mean it isn't entertaining that doesn't mean that it isn't incredibly watchable and I think that's what this this series is but I'm intrigued to see what you think in terms of you know what sort of insight as a non-Spurs fan as a football fan as somebody who's fascinated by the media like what sort of insight did the documentary provide for you I think specific insight on transfers and player negotiations i'm someone that you know we will we all have a tertiary understanding of how things work through our interaction with how things work on twitter and what we hear from journalists and what we see in fifa and fm and career mode and all these things but i never really imagined that they work out that way I, I, I think I would imagine that like there is some direct confrontation between players and coaches depending on the personality of the player and or coach. Um, but I, I, I never really thought that the transfer talks went down or the contract negotiations or whatever went down 
with the causality or not causality, but the casual nature with which they're depicted in this documentary. Like obviously the, the touch point is uh, Danny Rose confronting Mourinho about his lack of playtime. They both, and this falls more on Mourinho, I think, didn't handle the preceding conversation super well. I was, I was very excited when you came as manager. But if you don't want me to play, I'd rather you just tell me now and I'll stay at home after that. Not train at home. No, but let me try to be as open as I can with you because I think you deserve that. When I arrived, you played some matches, you were on the bench other matches, I didn't select you other matches, and I think also this is not what a player wants because a player wants to feel the trust, pam, 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 but was not also a gun and you don't play anymore. The week before Liverpool, you were fantastic in training. You were fantastic. And that made me decide that probably the most difficult game against the most difficult opponents, you played. I think you didn't play well. Then the next game against Middlesbrough, Tanganga played so well and is so strong defensively and doesn't make any kind of mistakes because he's so fast and so powerful. I cannot say, are you going to be a first choice? Are you going to play uh, every match? Depends on you. Okay, I, I respect what you're saying about I didn't play well against Liverpool, which is true. But I play once every four weeks. Do you want me to be man of the match and you want me to be, give my, my best performance when I play one game and then I don't play again, again for three or four weeks? The defence has kept two clean sheets. They play every game. It's not fair. So you want me to play? No, no, it's okay. No, no, you're the manager, but yeah. you're saying to me, I was shit against Liverpool. I respect. No, 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 no shit. Okay, I wasn't good. It wasn't my best game. Yeah, you're right, and I respect what you say. But other people have been shit in training, shit in games, but play every game and in the squad every game. It's not fair. It's your perspective. It's not fair. It's facts. Well, the whole changing room know it's facts. Not fair. What did you make of the documentary's approach to the sweeping global pandemic that has changed everyone's lives in coronavirus? Because uh, it gets half an episode, I think. You know, it's to me, it was it was insane to dedicate what was maybe 10 to 20 minutes on like the passage of 100 or so days that the Premier League took a break with. And to me, I'm finding that to be so consistent with the depiction of the coronavirus in the media as a whole because it's almost like people are afraid to talk about what it is and what it has done to people and not from like a literal perspective of killing people but the response to it and stuff like that but it's it's almost as if the coronavirus cannot be named in its depiction in in media it's so weird to see it just kind of glossed over and say like okay coronavirus is happening and they kind of build up to it, and then it's like, okay, well, the Premier League is back. And the implication there is, like, all of the, the decisions that have been taken with regards to resuming the league and, and doing all these things aren't really contested. They're just, that's what they are. This is the this was the right decision, so on and so forth. Um, so it, it's, it's strange in, in that regard, uh, as far as the depiction of the coronavirus goes, because this is something that is very existent in our lives still and probably will be for much 
much longer. And the documentary just glosses over it and says, okay, back to the football. And I understand it's a football documentary, but this is also football clubs aren't, do not exist in isolation. They are not just football clubs. They're social institutions. They're societal institutions in some sense. So I found that to be massively disappointing and weird. Yeah, I agree. I, I do agree. I think, as I said, it changed our lives. It continues to change our lives. And, you know, an extra episode was added to this season seemingly to compensate for coronavirus and the, the challenge that presents to the club and to football and all of us uh, on planet Earth. But really, the extra episode was for more footy and more Jumrinio's weird uh, team talks and those sorts of little elements that we get, which is great. But um, just in closing, then, just to finish, you know, what were your kind of your kind of final thoughts? I think I, I I did have fun watching it. I don't really think that that means it's good. Like I said, I don't think it provided a ton of insight with regards to things that I didn't already know. Um, more could have been touched on. I find the decision for that Mourinho took, I guess, took into his own, own hands um, to not allow the documentary crew to film any sort of tactical work. Uh, obviously, that's in contrast to the Manchester City documentary to be indicative of how Mourinho's tactics work. Like there is a novelty to them that that he needs to preserve and go to every degree to preserve and that speaks to I think the quality of them like that is entirely indicative of all the things that I want to believe about Jose Mourinho and I realize I've been negative about him but there's just nothing in this documentary that makes me want to like that man he's just he's a very weird and b kind of behind it when it comes to the world of football and I don't think that's something that Daniel Levy imagines. He is like convinced that Mourinho is some sort of winner, and I don't think that's true. I'd be surprised if there was any success under Mourinho, quite personally. just to go back to the narrative one last time it is it's fascinating in that in football there is no beginning there is no middle there is no end as there is and as there needs to be in a piece of entertainment in a documentary you know there is no satisfying narrative in in real life where you reach the conclusion everything's tied up in a bow you know football and sports especially are unique in that the story continues forever and that brings us nicely i think onto the fact that now the camera crews are gone now the documentary is finished and it's out there where do Spurs go now and where are they? Chris Hennage. And according to a lot of Spurs fans on Twitter, they're at a place where Jose Mourinho, the eternal genius that he is, lost on purpose against Everton in the opening match of the season so that Daniel Levy would sign Gareth Bale. He's on his way back to Spurs, apparently, Chris. He is, yeah. That's what's being reported on the grapevine. Um, it's a massive deal, even if it's not massive in terms of the financial responsibility to Spurs. I think when you can sign a player of his quality, that has to be considered a needle-moving deal, which, I mean, I'm 
don't know why I'm speaking at this point because I'm on the line with the Spurs fans. So you're the one I think that can capture the emotional state of this moment much better than I can. Yeah, it's it's a weird one. It is moving very fast. By the time you guys are listening to this, it could well have been announced that Gareth Bale has returned to Tottenham at the speed things are moving. But as it stands on Tuesday, this afternoon, the rumours and reports started that Spurs were in talks with Real Madrid about a loan deal for Gareth Bale. By the evening, the player's agent, Jonathan Barnett, had confirmed it, saying Spurs was where Bale wanted to be. And Tuesday night on Twitter... Every journalist under the sun, from Fabrizio Romano to David Ornstein, was reporting that indeed Gareth Bale was on the verge of a loan deal to Tottenham to return to the Premier League. So it seems like the impossible is very possible and this could well happen in the coming days, if not the coming hours. Um and I mean, it's hard not to get excited as a Spurs fan. The reaction online has been overwhelmingly positive. Um, but that's what the heart says. I think the head says, hmm, a 31-year-old injury-prone, does this really make sense on the pitch? It kind of feels like a deal um, constructed to placate the fans, to pacify them somewhat with a, a big move that, as you mentioned, there doesn't necessarily have a, a huge financial obligation on the club, albeit a significant one given the salary, and one that, doesn't make sense for any other reason apart from sentimentality. Yeah, that's the thing. These these sentimental deals are very much glass spires and I think they're so fragile and it's so easy for that sense of optimism to quickly turn and become a sense of disappointment and frustration when it doesn't meet our pretty lofty expectations. And I think the older you get, sometimes the more pessimistic or cynical you get towards them. So I imagine the 11-year-old Adam Boltwood would be a lot different to the 25-year-old Adam Boltwood that sits before me. Um, I think what is interesting to me is when I see people like Nathan Clark, who I respect tremendously as someone that analyses players and everything really against this, I can't help but come back to the thought of actually, you know what, if this is a free loan, Yes, there is inherent risk of will he actually be able to perform physically because he's had injury issues, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But this will clearly give the club a boost. It will, I think, mask the really complicated situation that is football clubs trying to make signings in a coronavirus period, if you will, in football, where they're trying to understand how their finances are going to be impacted. And you can almost push things back until next summer when you have a much clearer picture of how things look and the deals you can do because I don't think personally right now the majority of clubs are going to want to sell the real top tier players for fear of not getting market value for them I think the type of clubs you'll be able to buy from will be a lower tier and even then they're going to I think fight quite hard to get as good a deal as possible because they need that money it's not a case of anything else. I think it's really interesting the way you sort of framed uh, the move for Gareth Bale there because it, it reminds me of the signing of Jose Mourinho in that that was a move that was designed to boost the club uh, in certain ways. It was designed potentially to mask the very complicated situation of an aging squad who'd potentially reached the end of a cycle 
uh, and a manager coming to the end of his own cycle. And also, as you said there, delaying potentially hard decisions to be made in the transfer market and in terms of the future of the club on the pitch for another year. And there's kind of a, a frustration on my part in that what we've seen from Jose Mourinho, even though I was charmed somewhat by those initial episodes and the initial episodes, both in reality and in the series, the reality is becoming quite clear that it will end and it will end sooner rather than later. It's inevitable and we are delaying that inevitable and we will be in a position, be it halfway through the season or the end of next season, I believe, where we're again looking for a new manager, where we're returning to the blueprint of an exciting young coach who can develop youth, who can instill a modern football philosophy, the likes of Ralph Hasenhutl, the likes of Julian Nagelsmann, who we'd have been looking at two years previously when he joined the club. So there is this sense of of stasis, of paralysis, where Spurs are potentially pursuing these short-term moves and these short-term gambits under Daniel Levy that I think do have some positive impacts short-term, but it's all just delaying the work that needs to be done in the long term. Yeah, I can see why it would be seen as a giant smoke and mirror technique from the club. I, I, I totally get that that cynicism and that pessimism because I think you've talked about all or nothing with, with Nico. I know one of the things that I noticed when I was watching some of it last night was that Daniel Levy talked about it being, in his opinion, unrealistic to put tens of millions of pounds into new players every summer and that's why the academy was so important. Now, he didn't state a specific figure there. It was very much a range that was a bit ambiguous. But I think if I'm a frustrated Spurs fan, that will only serve to cement my frustrations because it sounds like he's saying, oh, 10, 20, 30 million, when he could mean 60, 70, 80. And you have rivals within the same city in Chelsea spending significant amounts, Arsenal agreeing a long-term contract for Aubameyang, they're spending money, essentially, is, is what I'm trying to get to. And I think this deal, while it can feel big because of who it is coming back to the club, financially, it is not. And so I think there's an element of this as well that while it may be delaying bigger transfer moves, it also feels like what you touched on, delaying the element of the need to reinvigorate this squad. Because I think ultimately that's what we're witnessing here is the end of a cycle. And... Yes, you can look at an academy and say, you know, Oliver Skip or Dennis I think Serkin is it. I'm not too sure how you pronounce that. I've seen it written down. Um, Dennis Serkin, Troy Parrott, those kind of players. These are the ones. But they may not be ready yet. So you do need to invest in the here and now. And even then, even the best academy structures in the world will have holes in terms of the production line that they have. They may not produce a great right back this generation or a great centre back. So that's where you do need to go out and spend. And I think I see a lot of potential for Tottenham, actually, and, and a lot of excitement still around that club. But ultimately, I think it has to be met with some kind of 
investment financially, I think you can only dance around that house for so long before you actually have to go in and do something. Yeah, I just can't help but feel, as with Mourinho, the initial optimism about this bound move will give way to the reality of what the move is. But if we were to be positive, if we were to think about how there could be tangible benefits to Gareth Bale rejoining Spurs and with what we know about Jose Mourinho from all or nothing, do you think it makes sense in that Bale is a serial winner. He's won four Champions Leagues at Real Madrid. After all, bringing that mentality, which is so important, apparently, to Jose Mourinho, bringing that to the club would be a massive benefit. And also the sense of we know the focus, we know the the importance that Mourinho lays on the defensive foundations of his side and relying on attacking players for that spark, for that creativity, for that flair, bringing someone in like Gareth Bale adds that dimension in that sense can you see a logic in in Bale returning to Tottenham on the pitch it's I have to be honest it's, it, it is kind of hard to say yes just because it feels like his career has been condensed so much to him playing for Wales he's been such a pariah at Real Madrid that I can't in confidence say yes you know unequivocally of course he is this is Gareth Bale for goodness sake because I haven't seen enough of him recently to say that he will be able to provide that consistency. He, he... I, I don't understand where he would play now or kind of how he would fit in or what he would bring that, almost. That's the other complicated issue I think you've got is that the Gareth Bale that will return to Tottenham is not the Gareth Bale that left. It's, it's not to characterise him as a lazy player, but I think he's the kind of player that realistically you want more focused on doing attacking things than defensive things. You don't want him in his own half, to be frank. When you're playing, you want him as close to the goal as possible. So then do you put him directly behind Harry Kane and have him as sort of a floating 10, I guess a little bit like what Wales tried to do by keeping him central? Okay, that's great. But then what do those two players do when you're out of possession? What is their defensive contribution? Is it then pressing because, okay, Kane has ankle issues, but Bale has had, I think, hamstring problems for on and off quite a few years. Do you really want him charging around the field like that? Or it's that idea of he has a very clear skill set and he is technically very good. He is a goal threat. But when you look at the limitations that he has, how hard do you have to stretch the blanket that is the rest of the team to mask those things? Like how hard do the other nine guys or 10 guys have to work just to make it so that Gareth Bale is a regular? And the thing is, the, the higher the quality level of the rest of the team, the easier that is to mask. So then where do you put that Spurs, let's just say best 11 with Bale in it, where do you put that in the context of, of the Premier League? Is it the third best, fourth best, fifth best, etc.? That's that's the trouble I've got, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's a good point. I, I don't think we know right now how good this Spurs team is. I'm not sure Jose Mourinho knows. Um, and I'm not sure we'll know even with the addition of Gareth Bale. But I can't wait for Gareth Bale to join the side. I can't wait for, uh, for Mourinho to be tearing into him at Christmas for his lazy pressing uh, and for him to not be able to get in the team ahead of Lucas Moura. <laughs> But just Gareth, the kind of you have no time to touch your ball. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But uh, just to kind of return to the bigger picture then, and where do you see this journey going then? Because it feels like 
sooner rather than later. As I say, Daniel Levy will return to the blueprint, a young manager, a young squad, and a new cycle will begin. This feels like a, a two to three year transitionary period with Jose Mourinho at the helm, uh, an opportunity to maximise the current assets at his disposal in order to potentially win some silverware. I mean, how do you feel about the journey for Spurs in this in this period? I mean, do you feel positive about Spurs under Jose Mourinho right now? No, to be honest. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I think... I think, look, let's look at best case, worst case. I think best case, you win a domestic trophy. Be that Carabao Cup, uh, FA Cup, what have you. I think worst case, I think he goes down the mine shaft that he has gone down with Man United and Chelsea in that most recent spell where he turns on the players more, he gets frustrated. He His ideas don't seem to resonate as much and it becomes an all-out civil war inside a football club. And... The difficulty I have personally with with him is I just don't see his ideas evolving with the times. I think he still is a firm believer that an individual talisman or a game changer, if you will, is intrinsic to success. And I think that is fair. Where I disagree with him is that it's just about getting them the ball. I think you have to create the situations that allow them to, to flourish. And I don't see that with him. I see if the back six, seven, whatever, if they do their jobs, that is the platform for a Kane, for a Bale, for a son to succeed. And it's just not that way anymore. I think it's become a much more cohesive team sport football. And that's why someone like a Guardiola or a Klopp, if we look at them as the pinnacle in the Premier League right now, have had to create these very complex robust systems that almost expand and contract an opponent to create those gaps for the players to thrive in so I, I do have a lot of respect for what he's achieved I think sometimes that can be ignored and be dismissed unfairly but as it stands right now I worry that he has reached a stage where he doesn't see any benefit in changing he doesn't see any benefit in trying to adapt and i and i think it's quite sweet in that documentary all or nothing that he does seem to try and foster a connection with the players i think you know that shows a slightly different side to him than what i'm used to um but from a tactical standpoint i still just have too many reservations about the way he puts a side together if i'm if i'm brutally honest with that in mind and how do you think this documentary how will all or nothing be remembered in terms of this period in the club's history for Daniel Levy, Jose Mourinho, and for Tottenham Hotspur? It, the, the thing with these documentaries is I think we've become a bit cynical to them because they seem like glorified marketing materials. And we often ask ourselves how much control did the subject have, you know? Because you're not going to let the truly worst aspects of you get out. But as I watch more of these, I come to the conclusion that actually sometimes in exerting so much control, you actually reveal something of yourself without realizing, you know? And so I think what it will show is Tottenham is a, is a club that aspires to something great, that has something in it that wants to, I guess, almost harness the underdog spirit relative to its place in London, 
relative to its place in the world. But at the minute, knowing what we all know about Mauricio Pochettino, I think it is struggling to find out who it is at the minute. You know when you know when a friend has a breakup and they say, I'm focusing on me? That's kind of what I think Tottenham are at right now. They're trying to focus on them and understand who they are now because the identity under Pochettino was so clear. But I think with this step towards Mourinho, it has taken a, a, a cloudy resemblance of, well, it's just about winning. He, he even says it at one point. He says, you know, I bring trophies everywhere I go. That's the pressure I bring. But like that's... If you were to try and actually say, well, like, what what does a, a a crystallized Mourinho team look like? I think that is harder to do, and I think when you discuss him, it is way down the list of things that you talk about when you talk about Jose Mourinho. It's not like Pep Guardiola or even Jurgen Klopp, for comparison's sake. And I hate to go back to those guys, but at the minute, I think they are the pinnacle in the Premier League, so you have to use them as reference points. Hmm. An X after a breakup. I like that. And there's an ex knocking on the door right now, <laughs> wanting to rekindle the flame. So uh, let's see how this one goes. For now, guys, thank you so much for listening to the podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. Let us know what you think. Let us know what you made of All or Nothing. Let us know what you make of Gareth Bale returning to Spurs, potentially. Let us know on Twitter, at the front 3 Until next Wednesday, have a great week. Speak soon.